0: This is Movie Land with C.J. Johnson.
1: Hello and welcome to Movie Land. I'm C.J. Johnson. Thank you for joining me. The Lego Batman movie is finally opening in Australia about six weeks after it opened in the rest of the world. Anyway, I've got some heavy hitters from that movie on the show. I've got an interview with the director of the Lego Batman movie, Chris McKay, and the production designer, Grant Freckleton. The director, Chris, is from the United States, but he's been living in Sydney to make the movie. And Grant Freckleton is from Animal Logic, the uh, animation or computer generation house, I suppose, that is based in Sydney and the way they work together is simply fascinating, and the movie itself is really quite a delight and a visual spectacular. So stay tuned in just a moment. I'll have that interview, and then I'll have my review of the Lego Batman movie and also my review of a fantastic, very different film that is also opening this weekend or may have opened by the time you're listening to this, which is called Land of Mine. So both films open or have opened this Thursday, the 30th of March in Australia. Australia. Enjoy The Lego Batman movie has finally opened in Australia. I highly recommend you go see it. It is really, really fun. One of the things about it that is most wonderfully fun is the sheer amount of visual information packed into every frame, every scene, every sequence. This has all been created, of course, in zeros and ones. It's been directed by Chris McKay and production designed by Grant Freckleton. They work together on the Lego movie as well. Well, and I have them in the studio now to just find out how in the world this sort of film gets made and how these two gentlemen work together. Gentlemen, thank you very much and congratulations on the film. Thanks, CJ. It is so much fun and it is so. F- funny too but this is i mean i I think my audience really knows how most films go from script to screen but this is a different kettle of fish how do you guys work together to get that stuff that we see onto the screen from a directing and design perspective and collaboration
2: yeah i mean well i mean in our in our our movie it sort of started where we we basically just had a treatment um i came to grant with a a treatment for an idea that uh, we had pitched to the studio and said that i wanted to make a Batman movie we wanted to make a Batman movie that sort of you know told it I pitched a studio that I wanted to make uh, Jerry Maguire as directed by Michael Mann with a lot of jokes in it and um and I sat down with Grant and we started to sort of work on just big paintings that showcased like what the what what the big broad strokes of the movie were going to look like
0: yeah I mean I think one of the first things we painted was um the Batcave um I think it was like Scott or Don uh, or someone in the art department had uh sketched up um something based on like that blimp hangar in uh, in San Francisco the right. On in Moffett Field and um I know we that that sort of served as our uh, back cave blueprint initially um but then uh, we decided to make it five times the size of that <laughs> by the end.
1: And, and when you say a painting, how big is this painting and how long does it take you? Uh,
0: when we say painting, it's kind of, we're using the term liberally because, uh, I mean, these days a lot of what we do is done digitally on, like, Wacom tablets. So, you know, we'll, we'll actually do a painting that is the same dimensions as a film screen. We'll make sure it is in CinemaScope so it's a 235 image that kind of might be something that, you know, lends itself towards what it might look like in the final um, film, but we'll often do it digitally in like Photoshop or uh, various digital painting applications.
2: Right. But, but Grant and his department, they would come up with a series of these things, these big ideas, and and some of them would be from the treatment. Some of them would just be ideas that they came up with on their own as far as like like Grant was saying, like the scope and scale of the movie, the kinds of scenes that we wanted in the movie, the feeling, the colors of the movie. If you look at, I mean, Grant and I went back and forth. There, there's, there's colors that Grant had put in to the original paintings that he had done. That, like in July or August of 2014, that in December of 2016, when we're finishing the movie just in time for the release, we're going back to those reference points and talking about the all of all of that stuff. I mean, yeah,
0: and also a lot of research as well. Yeah. I mean, the whole you know the whole Phantom Zone controller. Yeah um part of the story is was based on us f- doing a whole bunch of research into the phantom zone yep. in the art department yep. and trying to figure out you know in the history of superman comics you know how is the phantom zone being treated yep. how do we design it we came across this thing called the phantom zone controller and suddenly that <laughs> so, became suddenly a, becomes plot a plot point, point. exactly <laughs> it's like <you> know. <laughs> but know- he's like he's
2: crazy like a fiend for research like and his he and all the people in his apartment like like and which for me was amazing because i got to sit there and like relive my childhood as these he was pulling all of these really great you know the history of the bat cave the history of the batmobiles costumes gotham city arkham asylum like we were going through i mean it was to me it was the most fun part of the process to sit there and
0: yeah no research is i mean that's the point of the film where anything's possible as well so you can just dive in there and and come up with you know pitch crazy ideas of which you know any like one in ten ever stick if that but um you, know, you have a pretty good batting Yeah, you know, we have only like
1: two and ten. <laughs> I, I, noticed, I noticed something very beautiful within the film, and this might have been in the Lego movie too. It's been a few years since I've seen that. Obviously, yeah. I saw it when it came out. But the sunlight reflects very beautifully off Batman's cowl. Yeah, yeah. And in, in the blue sky scenes, of which yeah. there are a few, it's particularly gorgeous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is that something that you actively talked about? Like, I I, re- I don't normally notice the sunlight in animation.
0: Yeah. Oh, that—that is a very good point because that's one thing. Whenever I'm I'm watching animation, I'm like, "Where are the hot highlights on characters?" Because you know the sun's like you know got a value of you know x million you know nits or whatever, and uh, it's highly specific in this film. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also highly specific to the rendering um, software we use, where we can actually go in there and place literally something that is the sun with the brightness values of a real sun, and we start. Lighting and light just bounces around the scene, and you're actually lighting with the sun. And I remember and originally how, I was yeah. pitching, "We should just do it all natural light." Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> exactly, it was like like an Owen Roizman shot film from the seventies. <laughs> like, you know, but uh, but we um, but we ended up sort of you know having only a few moments where it's actually daytime outside, yeah. and the rest of it was kind of lots and lots of lights inside, up to like twenty thousand lights. But that's how it makes the cave. photo
2: real. I mean, that's why it looks so real but, is yeah. because you're able to direct that on objects that reflect exactly the way the plastic Re- reflects. plastic reflects
0: yeah. exactly there's like a lot of r&d and research behind it um
2: and, so, uh, yeah craig by the way craig welsh i should say like is a big part of your yeah, team as well
0: yeah yeah craig and i have worked on like three films together plus, two, plus a short um so yeah we, we sort of
2: speak the same language he's the lighting supervisor I mean, okay. of, of the of the film
1: and so when we talk about lighting supervisor but we are talking about animation mm-hmm. Just break that down a little bit. Is is in terms of how we understand a lighting supervisor working within yeah. the realm of b- binary code, I suppose. Right.
0: I mean, I think the big difference between, say, a live action film and um, and an animated film is the role of the DOP in an animated film. Um, there's it gets split into two people, and you'll often see now. You'll see in the Batman film is uh, you know Craig was listed as a lighting director and Bez. Was listed as um, layout director um, because uh, the person that sets up the composition of the shots is actually not the same person that sets up the lighting of the shots. They're two different teams. Whereas traditionally, I think on a live-action film, your cinematographer gets to both you know set up lensing as well as yeah. lighting on the scene. So I sort of dabble in the design of the the film and then dabble into the into the color palette and the lighting of the film as well. So Craig and I will just sit down every day, you know, upwards of two to three hours. In a dark theater and and watch each individual artist 's um, shots and give uh, feedback on them and once we 've got a string of shots um, together we 'll then go and uh, show it to Chris and, and get notes
1: i see so chris yes so you've you moved to Australia for both the Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie yeah so what is your and this is a question i i, I, I don 't want to sound totally naive, but I think our, our listeners want to know. What is your day-to-day role directing it? Because obviously you're not standing on a set right. telling actors what to do and, and right. you know calling out action. So what does a director do on a film
2: like this on a day-to-day basis? I mostly craft service. I sit, <laughs> I sit, I sit in the back. You, just, I just, you get coffees for yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Great <laughs> one thing. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm really, really not, <laughs> trying
0: things.
1: I'm obviously not trying to be facetious. No, no. Right I,
2: no, it's, it's, a, it's a great <laughs> we, question. I, you know, I mean... I I deal with the story. I deal with uh I, I have meetings with the with Grant about about the art. I have meetings with the animation team about the animation with the layout team. Um I go and work with the sound people. I work with the composer. I work with uh you know the um uh storyboard and and, and writing departments and and also with the actors obviously. Um and because it's animation, you are dealing with a, a post-based process. So it is. So it is. You are editing. You know, when Grant makes these paintings and the storyboard artist makes these storyboards, I'm grabbing the script, or we're riffing on a microphone with the editing team, and we're starting to build the movie before you know before layout or anybody starts to get into it. And we're dealing with editorial throughout the entire process. So um, I'm constantly going between all these different departments. And we made this movie very fast. This movie started with a treatment and. July or August of 2014 and we turned the movie around in basically two and a half years mm-hmm. which is an incredibly fast amount of time for an animated movie oh, yeah. uh, it's 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 crazy fast and that's only a testament to grant and his team the storyboard artists uh, the layout team the animation team like everybody was like hyper focused on trying to get a movie up it's, it's amazing that the movie looks as good as it does because we were hustling to make this movie so I'm going i I was you know i i i i was moving as fast as a live action director moves because we were just hustling through making the story i just wasn't doing the same i'm not sitting on a set and you have to you can't you have to make every single thing that happens on screen. So when I'm directing something, if I'm if I'm directing something live action, I get the weather, I get the cars going by in the deep background, I get the actors, you know, we get some wardrobe stuff. But if the if the costume flows a certain way because of the wind or whatever, I get some interesting things for free. You don't get anything for free <laughs> right. in animation. You have a <laughs> team that does that. Like, the you effects team has yes. to go
0: and make the capes flow around and the animators have to make everything move
2: so you have to be hyper focused on all those details yeah. that's why having somebody i mean the whole reason why i come down to Logic, besides the fact that they've got you know a great rendering system and all that stuff is grant freckleton is dave burrows is craig is fabian like it's it's these people that are the people who are highly highly focused on incredible and on, on, a, on a vast amount of details and bring the realism to the table, so I'm just giving sort of like notes to sort of like help shape it, but it's it's these guys who are sitting there, bringing the wind in, bringing the sun in, like you said, like 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 building all of this stuff, tweaking out the colors, so the movie is consistent color wise. It, it's it's an, it's an amazing amount of of detailed work that goes into making an animated movie.
1: What about the fact that all of your quote unquote actors, your characters? are much wider than human beings. Yeah, yeah. I I was really aware of watching this, you know, the fact that you've got to actually frame everything yes. differently because all of your characters are squat.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things we talk about is that that in, you know, when in, in when you draw stuff, you're supposed to draw you know characters six heads high because mm. that's like sort of a, a rule for mm. for drawing and our our characters is about three heads yes. high <laughs> and we have to photograph them differently and you get a lot out of their body language the that's where the animation comes in is is that you get a lot of their attitude what they're feeling with the body language yeah and
0: remember when lawrence sort of gave that analysis of how to like shoot yeah. a, a minifig where it's yeah. like if you see its feet you yeah. get a def- definitely get a different sense of its relationship to the the scene than if you only yeah. see its head and shoulders it's like you know trying to get a sense of scale with yeah, yeah. something that McKay was always kind of pushing for going for wider lenses and yeah. and, and getting out wider and bigger sets and so yeah, on. Yeah.
1: the touching moment that really made me feel like a child again was every time I saw their hands swivel in their <laughs> hand yeah. sockets because yeah. that was so tactile to me I yeah. really just remember doing yeah. that with my characters
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well we want I me mean, we wanted to film it like like to, to bring you back to that place where you feel like you're in a you know, in a dollhouse house. Like you're in, you know, you feel the ceilings come over you, you you feel the ground, you see those little things that remind you of playing with toys when you're a kid. Is
1: is it ever tempting to show them Essentially pulled apart to represent, you know, damage to them. Or... Yeah,
2: we, we do that sometimes, but uh, <laughs> Lego arms. Lego le- Lego frowns on some of <laughs> those, some of those some of our choices. Tearing an arm out yes. of an arm socket yeah. you know, was kind yeah. of,
0: you know, it's a little dubious, <laughs> like from a manufacturing standpoint. <laughs> but we got away yeah. with it. Yeah, we got away with it. Sweet, sweet talk to them, <laughs>
1: and and just the voice cast is astonishing. And I wasn't aware until I saw the end credits just how deep yeah. how deep your bench is, yeah, just yeah, how, yeah. How, how how many sort of huge stars you have in sort of tiny roles, because I guess they can come and, and record and they can wear whatever they want, I suppose. But when is that, is is the voice recording constant? Do you have to keep doing it throughout? Or yeah. is it all done at the beginning? Or no, all? no.
2: We're, 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 you know, everyone get, gets involved, the, the you know, as far as scratch performances go, just so we can get the basic movie up and then we bring the actors in and then the movie starts to change and evolve as you bring these very funny, you know, improv-based actors Uh, And and as the movie, they help evolve the movie and, um, and then some of those people too, it's just people who we like and wanted to give a part to, or, um, you know, just wanted to hopefully, you know, again, hopefully there'll be a sequel or series of sequels in in other, so, uh, you know, uh, at, at, you know, in the future so that we can maybe tell a story about the rogues gallery and just have a rogues gallery movie like a Suicide Squad movie or we can do a Super Friends Justice League movie and have those guys and give them. I mean, some of it's just sort of setting up hopefully future stories.
1: Well, I'll ask a deep cut, especially for the podcast listeners. Um... Doug Benson has always been doing a great voice of Bane (laughs) on his on his podcast. Doug loves movies, and now he's playing Bane in your movie. Is that directly from you listening to that podcast? I I used
2: to, you know, when I on the Lego movie, I used to walk. I used to live in the CBD, and I would walk to Animal Logic, and I would listen to podcasts every day. and and Doug Benson's Doug Doug loves movies was one of the ones I listened to, and I loved I loved his podcast. And since he did that Bane voice, and he was a fan of the Lego movie. I thought it'd be fun to have him come in and do Bane because I wanted the Tom Hardy Bane because I was just yeah. a, a fun bit. A fun, a fun it
1: is the, the most fun of all the Banes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah are you ever tempted to um, try and actually get those people to get like Tom Hardy doing the Tom well, Hardy Bane? In <laughs> Billy Dee. Is yeah, we that... got
2: Billy Dee from uh, from the Batman from the Tim Burton Batman movie uh, to play Harvey Dent, which was a role that he was meant to play, as far as I'm concerned, uh, in future movies. And they they changed that casting in Batman Forever. Uh, but at one point, I did want to get Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, yes. uh, Jim Carrey. The price was a little too high, right. I think, for the studio <laughs> to absorb that for these little one-off things. But yeah, there there was a time that that was going to happen.
1: Well, it's enormous fun. I had a great time. And uh, I, I love the fact that... We get told all the time about animated movies that they are cross-generational and fun for everyone, but it's very rarely true. Mm. <laughs> and in the case of the Lego Batman, it's absolutely true. Like, if you liked, you know, Burt Ward and Adam West, or if you like Christopher <laughs> Nolan, or if you even liked the 80s ones, even if you like the Joel Shoemaker one, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all there. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's awesome. Chris
1: McKay and Grant Freckleton, director and production designer of the Lego Batman movie, which is out now in Australia.
2: It must be great to be Batman. Batman, we love you! Thank you, I'm blushing super hard under the mask.
0: Batman! God. Thanks, Batman!
2: Yeah. I can only imagine he's going home right now to party the night away, surrounded by friends and lady activewear models. Hey, computer. I'm home. I'm home. I'm
1: home. So that was a clip from Lego Batman. Here's my review. Enormously entertaining, inventive and visually spectacular, the Lego Batman movie demands to be seen on the big screen. I can wholeheartedly recommend it. Having, along with the rest of Australia's reviewers, been ludicrously embargoed on reviewing it until six weeks after the rest of the world... I'm probably preaching to the converted. At this point, if you live in Australia, you've either been waiting for Lego Batman, delayed interminably to achieve a school holiday release, which must make sense from an economic standpoint, or you couldn't care less about it. The script has lavish fun referencing the Batman mythology from go to woe, and the deeper you are enmeshed in that universe, the more fun you'll have. Whether it's retroactively creating an origin story for the cartoon POWs and whams that appeared in speech bubbles during the 1960s live-action television series, running backwards through all the big-screen portrayals of the character with reference to the appropriate aspect ratios and film stock, or... Casting Billy Dean Williams as the voice of Two-Face, this is a film that knows and loves its Batman. The production design and animation is incredible. Sunlight glints off Batman's cowl in a dusk scene that pretty much made my jaw drop in its beauty. And I was watching Lego pieces talking to each other. There are visual gags, puns and references in every millimetre of the frame. If you're a true diehard, you'll watch the film again when it comes out on VOD on your huge screen with the sound off, just to appreciate everything that's going on everywhere all the time. As Batman, Will Arnett has, rather incredibly, not only made Batman his own or made his own Batman, it's a totally credible one. Batman's rapid, snippy way of speaking, including interrupting others a lot, goes against previous portrayals, but is wonderfully funny and oddly appropriate. One critic I respect has said this is simply his favourite Batman movie, and he wrote a book about Batman. It's all geared towards Bat-nerds first, kids a distant second. I'm fine with that. They probably didn't need to hold it until the school holidays in Australia. The big's box office numbers it will inevitably post will be swelled by plenty an adult smiling into their popcorn with every biff, bam, and pow. A delight. That's the Lego Batman movie. It's out in Australian cinemas right now. <laughs> You're listening to C.J. Johnson with Movie Land. Here's my review of another terrific film that's currently out in Australian cinemas, Land of Mine. My fingernails were being bitten down to the quick by my teeth because the young German soldier's fingers were jittering. I was watching the Danish entry for best foreign language film at this year's Oscars, Land of Mine, and it was a white-knuckle ride. Here's the context for the story. At the end of World War II, about two million landmines littered the Danish coast. The Germans, occupants of that small nation for nearly the entire war, figured the Allies would storm the beaches, try and take it back. That didn't happen. When the war ended, as part of the Reparations Treaty, Germany had to supply soldiers to Denmark to find, diffuse, and dispose of all those landmines buried in the sand. They sent, effectively, 2,000 boys, the youngest possible soldiers, 16-year-olds with wispy whiskers and baby faces. The landmines, of course, were live and lethal. Boys blew up. In terms of tension and suspense, who could possibly imagine a better setup? Writer-director Martin Zandvliet, however, gives us much more than a bloody horror show. By focusing on the growing relationship between Danish Sergeant Karl Rasmussen, Roland Muller, and his squad of 14 young Germans tasked with clearing one particular beach over three months, Zandvliet forensically examines issues of vengeance, forgiveness, compassion and humanity – Specifically, how different we really are, and how different we are willing to believe we are. Pretty relevant stuff for 2017, no? We first see Rasmussen beating a German soldier as he walks out of Denmark with his colleagues. The German was trying to leave with a Danish flag, and the burly, very manly Rasmussen is livid. This is my country, he screams as he rains down blows. Not yours! You are not welcome here! And despite his brutality, who can blame him? These were his oppressors, his home invaders, the savage barbarian destroyers of his entire world. And everything was unequivocally their fault. Why shouldn't they take a beating? But should they get blown up on the beach? Well, why not? They bloody well put the bombs there in the first place, didn't they? These are the moral, ethical and deeply humanistic value questions at play. Rasmussen, assumedly single and childless, living on a beachside farm with his dog, is a tough nut, but these are boys under his charge and they're getting their arms blown off. Is compassion inevitable or are the wounds of the world's worst crime impossible to bandage? Muller is spectacular in the role of Rasmussen. His physique, his thin moustache, the way he wears his khaki uniform and his prominent insignias, the way he tends to the fist he injured beating the German at the film's beginning, all point to a career soldier who still mostly has himself together even as the world has gone insane. Mostly. His character arc across the film is beautifully structured and he modulates it precisely and unsentimentally, as you imagine Rasmussen himself would. Mola got out of prison in 2002 after spending four and a half years inside for ten assault convictions. Until now, he has almost exclusively played hardcore criminals, as he himself was. He justly won Denmark's highest acting honour last year for his portrayal of Rasmussen. The filmmakers shot at some of the actual beaches involved and, during production, found a real mine. How perfect and perfectly sad. That is Land of Mine, one of the terrific films so far of 2017, and that's out now. Thanks for listening to Movie Land. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CJ Movie Land. Read and subscribe for free to my written reviews at filmmafia.com.au. Watch my web TV series, Watch This, at TV. that's S-K-I-P-I dot TV, S-K-I-P-I dot TV. And make sure you see a movie at the cinema this weekend. Take care.